Welcome to episode 59, but first a warning. This episode contains a small amount of language that some people may find offensive. But as we don't believe in censoring our guests in any way, shape, or form, we have decided to run it unedited. We will discuss our thought process on the next episode. Okay, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast. We are all the way up to episode number 58. I'm Tom, one of your hosts, and somewhere out there is Neil. Say hi, Neil. Hey, everybody. Yeah, we're actually doing this one a little bit differently today. We're actually yep. using Zoom for the first time, so if it sounds different, then that is why. So, well, and the other, thing, the other thing we're doing, Neil, that must be mentioned is a long time ago, we decided, boy, it sure is a lot easier if we only have one person out at a time, but we're going to throw caution to the wind today. Yes, we are. Indeed and we, we actually are. have a pair of a pair of brothers with us. We have Steve and Art Godoy coming from various parts of the world to speak with us. So how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thanks a, lot for, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, there you go. You guys are so still in sync, even many miles apart. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, Steve, so- you Steve, you are in Long Beach, California. So you are in Southern California. Yeah, totally. And Art, you are in I'm in Vancouver, Canada. So you're on the west coast of Canada. Yeah, above Seattle, like a couple hours, three hours okay. maybe. So you guys are you guys are you guys are skaters. You guys yeah. are tattoo artists, and you guys are punk rockers. What what are you best known for at this point? Right now, tattooing. The the tattoo thing is really um, most uh, the most developed because we've got five or six patents re- relating to tattooed to t- tattoo uh, products and inventions and books that we've written regarding. Yeah, but so it all like, runs together. It all runs together because we still walk around and people are like, man, thanks you guys, because I've, if I didn't see that thrash or skateboard issue in 90 or whatever it was, 87, what the fuck year was that? That was earlier than that. Okay, yeah. so let me do an introduction here. because Yeah, sorry, Neil, I, I, yeah, Neil knows better. Fine, Neil, fine. Well, well no, no, but it's just I know these guys a little bit. 91. A little bit. Yep. So, um, so the Godoys, right? So I, I used to do a zine called Skate in Annoy back in the day. Yes. And um, The House of Neil. We, yeah, yeah, house. Yeah, I had. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. So, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, we were a Midwestern skate scene. So, what kind of what kind of people are we going to be able to interview, right? Um, and and plus, I wouldn't want to interview Tony Hawk or Mike McGill or any of those guys because that would just have been dull. So, we were always looking for the pro skaters who were um kind of off the beaten path, still rad, but off the beaten path, right? So, I think we interviewed Dan Wilkes from Texas. Great. And um, actually, an early interview with Steve Rocco, which is really funny considering he came to be a fucking multimillionaire or whatever. Um, and then we discovered the Godoys. And I don't know how you even, you guys even found out about us, but I think we reached out to you and then you guys said you'd do an interview and it was a great fucking interview. And we just seemed to hit it off immediately. And then I met you guys in Indy in 88, I think. And uh, so the Godoys were always. I mean, you've got your pro skaters from California. Most of them are squeaky clean and uh, kind of dull on the most part, to tell you the well, truth. The thing was that really, we really weren't from California. We had ended up, ended up out there, but we started skateboarding in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, of all places. 
And that was the perfect place, the perfect place attitude wise and society wise to, to ingrain all the shit that we believe in everything that's formed us. So that's where it started. And then we got sponsored by Zorlac and we moved to Texas. Right. So, yeah, that's right. Cause you were down in, was it, were you in Austin or whereabouts was that? Dallas. It was in Dallas. Okay. Hmm. Okay. And then from there, I guess eventually you moved out to the West coast, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, and then there were some of the earliest, well, I don't know any other skateboarder that had tattoos before those guys, but there was, cause back then, man, I know everybody has tattoos these days, but we're talking early eighties. The only people with tattoos were fucking bikers and, and criminals. Right. So it was pretty unusual. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys just got a bad reputation for some reason. I don't know what it is. <laughs> tell it, tell well, us about that, dude. If you, if you take a look at who was running skateboarding during that, those times, it was Santa Cruz, Powell, and Vision. Right. And they were controlling everything. So you had, uh, you know, on the one side, everybody who was part of Thrasher, which was independent Santa Cruz, and they were controlling that magazine. And who was controlling Transworld, Tracker Trucks. And then there was people kind of going in between, which was like Powell, Vision. So they had control over everything that they were selling. And when they, when they started doing the market research and figuring out that it was mothers of 14-year-old boys that were buying the boards, well, you know, they're going by everybody's image. You think they want to have tattooed twins <laughs> representing what their kids are riding? Not even. Yeah, which is funny because you know the decks all, all had blood and skulls and shit on them. So, but it just especially yeah. Zorlak. Yeah, especially Zorlak. Yeah, Zorlak was a great company. Now, what, did did Zorlak ever offer you guys a pro? Yeah, they or totally like that? did, and we were going to have one, but for some reason there was like a weird little political agenda going on back there because if you weren't really from Texas, you weren't really part of the thing, you know. So it was going to come out. We were going to release it it was like 80 right after 1985 at the virginia beach Trashmore contest and for some reason there was a mm -hmm. we found out some stuff through the grapevine you know that you hear stuff you know that there was drug dealing yeah. going on out of the warehouse and stuff we haven't verified any of that but you know the owner wasn't acting like too gung-ho anymore so we said you know what fuck this and we just wanted to find somewhere where we fit where we could get get our board out and have someone that fit the image, but everybody was so like, I don't like the t term politically, politically, politically correct. It's pretty more, more like faggy. You know, these guys are a bunch of faggots wearing like colored clothes and like action. Remember action East start. They were trying to hook us up with some, some surf line company, but nobody was punk. No one had any kind of attitude because we grew up listening to punk and people like Dwayne Peters came about. And when we were kids in 79 going, man, that guy's pretty rad. And Steve Olson and Jay Smith. Right. So we wanted to kind of carry that on too and mix it up with punk rock because that's what we were all about. There's nothing phony about the Godoys. But then right. everybody realized, you know, in skateboarding that when they're soft, they start selling more products. And that was their goal. Everybody was, you know, I remember when, when um, there was a lady named Cindy, she came into the Zorlac camp and she was dating Jeff Newton, the owner, and she decided, why don't we do some, you know, commercials, like some ads, you know, for the clothing and you will have people jumping off a cliff into the, into the lake, you know, like modeling the shirt, here's your shirt, you know, and then they leap off the cliff and they do their little twist and then they land in the water and we're going to sell more shit that way. We're like, man, like we signed up for, right? We don't belong. Yeah. Well, we don't belong. 
it's funny because the same thing really happened to punk rock. You know, you from you went from the eighties, which was this really anti-social countercultural movement to the nineties, they essentially figured out a way to sell it to the masses. You know, and 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 you when you talk about your green days and your offsprings like that, not to pick on them specifically, but they literally figured out a way to take, you know, to sell the cub subculture. Yeah, and it's no, and true. Neil and I are constantly complaining about that because then next thing you know you got your Blink Winnie Twos and you got all these other bands. They're like, oh, I, I grew up listening to pop punk, and there's absolutely nothing punk. Man, you you, you could start right, with all right, that right. stuff, I mean, but let's no, go back to the hawk. beginning. Let's go to the back to the beginning of all this stuff. So when we got into punk, it was probably around '77, exactly when it started, and everything would go to New York, and then it would come down to where we lived in Lancaster, PA, and there was a little record store named Stan's Stan's Records. Well, before we got into punk, we were listening to Kiss and stuff like that, but nothing was doing, doing anything for us because we couldn't really relate to, the, to the, the, the lyrics. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, first I drink, then I smoke. We're like, we don't, e- we don't even do that. We were, we're kids. But when we heard the Pistols, and because of where we grew up, there's, there was a lot of like, um, discrimination. So since we moved from South America to, to, to the States, to Lancaster, there was very clannish. So they'd call you a Puerto Rican and they'd, so, you know, we're already being discriminated against and we are already having antisocial feelings against the school system, against the other kids, against the whole community that we were living in, kind of against our will because we were little. But when we heard the pistols, we're like, oh my God, man, this, this sounds exactly the way we feel. We feel exactly like this sounds. And, you know, we didn't even know what anarchy was. We didn't even care. But <laughs> just the sound of, you know, the boots marching in the beginning of holidays in the sun to that guitar mm-hmm. tone and, and his voice were like, this, this is us, this is it. But then it evolved. But see, it, the thing about punk that was that it didn't finish its job. It didn't finish the job. And if you want to talk about Blink-182 and all those other bands, we got stories pertaining to all of that and the blatant push against us when we were in Exploding Fuck Dolls to be pushed into you know, not, I wouldn't say mainstream, but at least to have the notoriety that we deserved. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's, uh, let's take a music break and let's play a thing as you just mentioned it. Let's play, um, well, the classic first single by the Sex Pistols. Everybody knows it, right? Um, so let's play Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols.
That was anarchy. Every everybody knows that. I at least I hope everyone listened to the show. I don't know. Any, I'm surprised that. some of the things people don't know that we play. Dude, fucking seriously, right? It it never ceases to amaze me. You know, you know I was gonna say, you know what's funny? So you got this band called the Exploding Fuck Dolls, right? And the labels have to be going. What are we gonna do with this? We can't sell this. But now, all these years later, Green Day just last year put out an album that was called like the Father of All Motherfuckers or something. You know what I mean? So it's like you were just ahead of your time. I think might have been the might have been the issue, or I, I, I don't know. So it was hard to sell. Well, dude, well, we, used to get, we, we used to get fucking beat up for having short hair and straight leg pants. I mean, it's just everything comes around, right? Uh, yeah. it, you know, it, in the end, punk started influencing everything from fashion to music to everything. And Generation X always said that on their first album. Um, you know, soon you'll get your gear from Marks and Sparks. And that became true. Like at the time, we thought, nah, that will never happen. But then it fucking came true. And suddenly punk was everywhere or what passed for punk was everywhere. Right. But uh, yeah. For a any, week, a week facsimile. Yeah. Any, you know, anyway. Um, you can look at the trends and everything. Everything's got trends. We look at skateboarding. Okay. So the Tony Alva generation and their style of skating lasted for a while and the long hair lasted for a while that disappeared and melded right into the eighties and everyone's all fruity with their vision streetwear. <laughs> you know and then uh yeah then we came along and now look what's lasted longer than everything else everything that we influenced everything that's tattoo related everybody's all tattooed you know even just the general look you know peg pants and all that kind of stuff still going on right and that's lasted longer than than any other visual uh i would say like look right and this is what we were doing this is and this is what we're still doing so the only other tattoo skater I knew back at the time was, I guess, would, would have been Fred Smith. And he was from Pennsylvania as well, wasn't he? No, he was from Massachusetts. Oh, he was from Massachusetts. Okay. 
Yeah. We, we were friends you. with that guy. We got him sponsored by Zorlak. You know, there's a lot of these people too. Just to bring it up, just to, just to make a point, because a lot of these people that took off and became something, you know, that we're all tattooed. Jason Jesse, we put him on the map because he was riding for Vision. We got him on Santa Cruz and his career blew up. Fred Smith, he was pretty much doing not much of anything up in the, in the Northeast. And we got him on Zorlak and that was his huge push. And he got on Alva from there. So, you know, credit where credit is due. These guys, they know, but they won't admit that the Godoys were a huge influence on them as well. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely see that. Why, 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 are they, why are they slow to admit that? Just because they, want, they want, don't want to do anything to hurt their own marketability? Or, or they just well, you know, don't want to admit that they weren't the or, originators? Or? It's credi- street cred, right? They want their credibility. They, they, they got their credibility after, but they weren't the ones who planted the roots. Their roots really weren't into, that, into the ground as deep as ours were. Hmm. see what i'm saying everybody no yeah. one wants to say hey you know like because you can't really verify how are you going to go back and verify hey you know what they weren't there that guy was selling ice cream cones you know when we were you know <laughs> you, you can't verify just same thing in tattooing no everybody wants to shoot holes and shit but they don't have anything to back it do i remember do i remember hearing back in the day that you actually gave Dwayne his first tattoo do i remember that oh i got that wrong no he had a few tattoos but when we when we were tattooing in Newport Beach in 1991, we already had like contacts with Dwayne. Like we got our haircut by him at a Texas contest in 82. And um, then we meet, meet up with him later at uh, some other event. And then I rode for Circle A and he had a model on Circle A. So our paths crossed then. And then we were tattooing in Newport Beach in 91, 91, 92 or so. And he skates by with a totally bald, chapped, sunburnt head. And he was living at some drug rehab home at the beach right there. And so we're like, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing around here? And so he had some tattoos, but it was from there on out where we just sleeved the fuck out of him and put more stuff on him because mm-hmm. he really wasn't a tattoo guy. He wasn't into it. He kind of took his image off of us. But then again, at the same time, like we all fed off of each other when we were in the band and it was like really militant. And, you know, that's uh, those were some really great days. Was, is it? Is it? Was, was, was that how the Exploding Fuck Doll started? Was that all from that meeting? No, or because without... it, was be, it was before him. We had a, oh, okay. a lineup with a guy named Kevin Edmond and a guy named Devin Gilmore. And uh, Kevin, he was young. like He was a few years younger than us, but he was also a heroin junkie. He got off of drugs. And we told him, look, the, the minute you get back on the drugs, the band is over. And um, the, everything kind of culminated at one time. And it was... It was around the time when we met Dwayne, Dwayne again after all those years, and he came to see the band and he loved the band. We have some live recordings with him in the audience just talking shit and it was really funny. But anyway, we had rumors, heard rumors that Kevin was going to go back out and, and do some, you know, shoot up heroin and he ended up dying and I found him dead in his room. Oh, Jesus. We, we had came home from work and we had actually, we found him, you know, messed up on drugs and we told him, look, you need to be packing your stuff and getting the hell out, band is over. But that particular lineup of the band, though it wasn't as tough as the lineup with uh, Dwayne and the Goatman and everybody, was the most marketable. And that would have gone places anyway. We told him, you need to pack your stuff and get the hell out. Be out of here by tomorrow morning. So we go to work the next day, come on the way home. We stop by his mom's house and we said, hey, Kevin's back on drugs. He's out of the house. You might want to help him find a place to live. She's like, how's he doing? Steve goes, I don't know. For all we know, he could be dead in his room. We get back to the house and sure enough, you know, I walk in and Steve had Knox at the time and Knox was really little. He was maybe about 
three or something, two or three. Mm -hmm. And um, I walk into the house first. I knock on his door, Kevin's door, because the cords that I, he, I borrowed off him, I returned and a couple DVDs and um, no, actually they're VHS tapes. So I knock <laughs> on his door, no answer, push the door open. And there he is laying down on his bed, looking at a poster of Johnny Thunders with his mouth open. And I'm like, oh, fuck. God damn, those tattoos look bright. I'm like, man, it looks like there's like 10 layers of clear coat on top of those. And then I, then I walk into the hall and I told Steve, I went like this. Oh. Call 911, take knocks across the street. So then that, when that was over, then like that was that first generation of the exploding fuck dolls. Then we said, Dwayne, let's you know, reform it. Let's reform it. So we tried Dwayne on bass. He couldn't really play the bass. He was all thumbs, but he sang great. <laughs> <laughs> so we put him in as a singer and that's when we started writing great shit like American bomb. Like that was, we were planning yeah. to go blow up Seattle because grunge was happening. <laughs> I told you these guys don't fuck around. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably would have been better if you had blown it up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah. For sure. What a big difference, you know? Yeah. We actually played American bomb a couple of episodes ago. I, great. I, I played at the end yeah. of the show. Yeah. Great. It's a great song. It's a great song. So how long were you guys together as a band, Exploding Fuck Dolls then, before, before that folded? Which lineup? Um, the lineup? The, the dead lineup? This, no, the second lineup with Dwayne singing? Probably a year. Oh, that's all? Okay. Like a solid a year. year. But in that year, what was accomplished was really unreal because bands like No Doubt used to open for us and Offspring used to open for us and Sublime used to open for us and Pennywise opened for us and Social Distortion opened for us. And like we were really climbing and we had a lot of interest from major labels. Like Virgin said, we'll take you, but your singer's a liability. <laughs> Geffen was interested. We had major label interest. We went up to San Francisco and Berkeley and we played and we annihilated. And we were playing in front of the people who would later become Green Day and Rancid. And they're standing there with dreadlocks and boots and shorts. You know, next year after our band folded, Green Day is signed to Warners and they're, they're, they're doing what we were doing, mm -hmm. exactly what we were doing. So they were taking notes. So there you go. Hmm. And then Dwayne went on to form U.S. Bombs after that, I'm assuming? That must have been... It wasn't that quick because it, there was a lot of egos in that band. And, you know, he, he got called out a couple of times. And he even calls himself out. Like, so he knows when he's on a bad run. So he says, okay, you're going to hold my paychecks because he was working at a, at a seaside market at the deli hold my paychecks so I, so I don't spend them on drugs and I'm going to dry out. And, and anyway, sooner or later, like, you know, you know, human behavior and sooner or later, everybody's wants to go their own direction because, you know, and the singers always take the following. Right. So, so he ended up uh, forming after sometime after, but in fact, he, he offered for us to be part of something when he was working with Carrie Martinez, he goes, you know, you guys come in and we'll jam. We jammed that we weren't feeling it. So, mm -hmm. You know, we didn't want to reopen that can. Okay, that, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, you were still, this was when? This was early 90s? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like 99, the, that lineup with the Fuck Dolls with Dwayne ended around 94. Okay. And then so we what, carried it on, but, you know, whatever. So were you still on H Street at that point? Or was it, you, had that oh. all folded? Oh, no, no, because you did Iron Cross after that, of course. You did Iron Cross yourselves. But that had all folded by 94 because it was all street skating. Yeah, shit, it was all by dead. 94. Yeah, by 90. All dead. Okay. They killed it. But you guys were still skating, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. We okay. skated when we could. I mean, we, right after the whole 
Iron Cross folded, we got jobs making armor for the government at this factory in, in Vista, California. So the armor that we were making was for tanks and helicopters. And that's like our, our you know, integration back into regular crap work, even though we were tattooing on the side, you know? So mm -hmm. we still skated, but we didn't have as much time to skate anymore. And you're so burned out when you're doing nine to fivers, you know, that like. Sure. Yeah, I got that. We saw Gator like a week before he turned himself in for the murder, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Did yeah. you know him really well or not? Well, enough to hate him. him. And we know him enough to not like him because of the ego. You couldn't really crack the, crack the shell. That guy was like one of the richest skateboarders with a salary of like 250000 a year just for clothing sales. And then, that was yeah. just his minimum. That was his minimum. Tom, do you, do you know who that is? Do you, know, do you remember Gator? It sounds familiar, but I, I really don't know the story. He killed, yeah. killed somebody? Yeah, he did. He killed his uh, he killed his girlfriend, right? And like buried her in mm. a desert or something. Girlfriend's friend. Okay. Mm. Yeah, and I think he was up for parole this year, but I don't think he got yeah, out. I right? Think, I don't think he pulled it off. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I only met the guy one time, and he was a complete dickhead then. At the time that I met him, so um, yeah. most he pro skaters I met were actually pretty cool, but he was just a complete cock. So yeah. <laughs> so, what are you gonna say? So, so in 2020, are you guys both, you guys both make a living tattooing? Is that what you guys do at this point? Is that your main, main focus? Yeah. Okay. So one of you guys get, you guys, one of you's got a gallery in Southern California and the other one's got a gallery up there in, uh, or a parlor up there in Vancouver or you work for somebody else or yeah. how, you, how you do it? Steve works in a private studio in um, San Pedro and I got my okay. own shop in Vancouver. Okay. How'd you end up way up there? Uh, there was kind of a culmination of a lot of things that ended up putting me up there. And one of them was, um, who right now is my kid's mom. But before mm. that, there was a lot, some other stuff too. We had opened up a shop in West Hollywood and we got extorted by a motorcycle club. And, uh, just around that time we were just fed up. We're like, man, fuck this. The politics suck, you know? And, uh, anyway, I had gone up to visit, um, at the time, my girlfriend and I saw opportunity. I thought, man, could open up a shop here and just dominate, you know, mm -hmm. and um, worked out everything, did the paperwork, uh, became a permanent resident, opened up a shop. My first six months I spent trying to get the fuck out of here just because of the rain. It was so <laughs> gnarly. And I just, I couldn't relate to, to, to the, the, the Canadian way. Like they're just <laughs> different kind of people, man. The only thing colder than the weather here is the people, man. So I <laughs> trying to get the fuck out, but I, Anyway, something magical happened and the shop became a real success and then it attracted cool people and hmm. still here. So what's, the name, what's, the na what's the name of the shop? Funhouse. Funhouse. There you go. Anyone in the Vancouver area that's listening, yeah, get your tattoos over at Funhouse. Mm -hmm. But the um, name, where the name come from? Well, a lot of things. The Iggy and the Stooges Funhouse and also summer. and Radio Birdman. They used to play at the Funhouse down in Australia, which Birdman's our favorite band, you know, it's <laughs> our most all-time favorite band ever. So why don't we play a song, Neil, and then let's talk to them about that, right? Because they have some connection to the band, right? Yeah, they yes. do. So, okay, so let's play, I think you picked Hand of Law by Radio Birdman, correct? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So this is uh, Hand of Law by Radio Birdman.
right. End of law, Radio Birdman. Um, well, if, 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 if people, yeah, if people don't know, these come from the uh, the land of convicts, you know, down there. Um, <laughs> Where and, they're uh, from, it's a penal colony. It's not a penile colony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where they're from. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 quite correct. So, um, yeah, tell us tell us about why you guys um, fell in love with Radio Birdman quite so much. Because I, well, I, I, I was listening to them and they were all right. I mean, I like them, but I was never like mad, mad keen on them. But, uh, but you guys love them, right? We love them. It's our favorite band. When we first heard them, we, we were in, in Texas and we went to a place called Half Price Books. And it, we saw radios appear. The, the, the U.S. release, the black and white one, where they're standing in military formation. We're right. like, yeah, man, this looks fucking tough. Let's see. Yeah. And plus, you know, Radio Birdman, we already made the connection with that Iggy song where he misworded the words and we're like oh shit it's got to be related when we the got it was, though, we hadn't even gotten it yet because our friend gene had actually found it he actually bought it we That's saw right. it and then gene said he goes i bought the radio birdman album it's kind of weird it's got piano in it okay go ahead steve <laughs> yeah and then when we heard it right away when we first heard new race holy shit and we thought what else do they have but the combination of the two guitar tone the two guitar sounds and the, the tones that they were getting and the drumming and everything was just like, this is harder than punk. It had, it had a lot more rawness because we were also into MC5, you know, and mm -hmm. we thought, well, this is like where punk fell, fell short with some of the poppy gay stuff that was coming out. We thought it doesn't really hit home like the first chords in the, uh, in the Nevermind the Bollocks album when you hear, you know, Anarchy in the UK or Holidays in the Sun. and then. We're like, oh man, this is a whole different can of beans here. So we started digging into the Australian scene and we find out more about the Hitmen and the New Christ and the Lime Spiders and all these bands, which was like really heavy guitar rock, but mm -hmm. sort of punk. But Birdman was never a punk band. They could never claim to be punk. They don't even want anything to do with being known as punk because they weren't. Even though there's sound, you know, like much like uh, bands like XTC who never wanted to claim punk, but punk was what punk embraced those bands yeah because you, fair, yeah Maybe you couldn't the front. how could you make a you know a genre for bands that don't sound like any other band and the only you know logical era is punk well you know what and, and you know what that really pisses me off sometimes too because guys like elvis costello and uh yeah and xtc as well they'll claim that oh we were never punk bands or anything like that we never had anything to do with that movement but no. that's what brought the you would never have fucking heard of elvis costello He'd have, he'd no. have still been playing in little folk clubs and stuff like that if it wasn't for the punk explosion. So that always pisses me off when bands say that. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Because <laughs> they're more than happy to take a ride on the coattails of punk, but they'll never claim punk. And like the jam, that was a whole nother can of beans. They didn't want to be associated with punk, but right. they were sure as fuck happy to jump on the train, you know? Yeah, but they but were we a great band them. too, though. Great band. <clears throat> See, Tom, let's keep telling you the jam were a great band and you just don't believe me. I, I don't. I don't. I just can't get past the first album. After that, it just doesn't do much for me. So, so you guys worked with somebody from Radio Birdman or something? You had some kind of a project with with somebody well, from Radio Birdman? It wasn't just one project because we've been playing with Dennis Tech since 1994, and we still continue to play and tour with him 25 plus years later. Oh, so, is that right? Okay. So what happened with with that was um, we had seen like little zines back then, you know, like Neil zine, it was always, you know, little paper zines. And we found one called bucket full of brains. I don't know if you remember that there was uh, an interview with Dennis tech, who is the founder of radio Birdman and guitar player. And he said he was a ER doctor in Billings, Montana. Oh, and, 
But he was gnarly, man. He wasn't just that. He was like, you know, flew second seat in F4 Phantoms. Like he was also a fighter pilot and did, you know, nuclear medicine and all kinds of shit. He's, he was also a ER surgeon and he's, he's a trauma surgeon. He's gnarly. Anyway, we said, you know what, let's call him up. Fuck it, man. We're going to call him. That's what we do. We go to the top. In fact, we're like one person away from Anthony Fauci, if you know who that fucker is. So, <laughs> not even kidding. It's gnarly. We'll tell you about that later, too. Anyway, <laughs> we call him up. The first hospital we called was St. Vincent's. And as a matter of fact, he happened to be on shift and he could take our call. So when he gets on the phone, we're like, hey, Dennis, we're, uh, we're fans. And we want to let you know that if you need a backup band and you want to do some U.S. gigs, let us know. So we communicated by fax and because fax was like the thing then there was no emails or nothing. And then we finally, um, he said, I'm going to be in California for a, a medical conference in San Diego. We're like funny, perfect timing. We got a gig at a club down there. He goes, okay, I'll come up and we'll do a small set. So we learned five songs. And then after the set, he said, when are we touring again? Oh, so wow. After that, we've done like countless European tours. We toured China, lots of us, Australia, you know, not even just in, in uh, the Dennis Tech lineup, but we also did uh, in The Visitors, which was another one of his bands, Post Birdman. And wow. we invited him to play in The Last of the Bad Men, which was an all-star cast. That was a heavy lineup, too. So we just recorded a new record with him, and we were supposed to be touring it right now. This year, we were supposed to be going to Europe, but guess what? This COVID yeah. hoax just fucked everyone <laughs> in their ass. So you are sitting out there locked in your house. So, hey, so... No way. Um, I was just gonna say, um, are you guys still doing your own thing then? I mean, you're, you're quite a few hours apart by car at this point. Are you guys still able to play occasionally, at least until the COVID thing? Yeah, easy. All we do is book some stuff. You know, after the COVID thing, if it, if it ever goes away, I don't know if it's going to happen. But we'd always, like, write some songs, do demos, exchange them, practice a day, and then go on the road. That's how we do it. Is that right? Well, we a two-man band. It's, it's the fucking Godoys now because that's the best name we could come up with because, you know, <laughs> like, oh, shit, guess who's here? Oh, it's the fucking Godoys. <laughs> so, you know, the logo, I don't know if you can see the shirt, it's the middle finger. It's, uh, you don't have to say anything and you're already telling the world what you think of them. So <laughs> we, we do tour as a two-man band and the reason why we did it too, we thought, you know what, man, we've had all these lineups. Some people can tour, can't tour. Some people always got excuses why they can't come practice. So we thought, you know what, man, we can only rely on each other really when it comes right down to it. So let's do a two-man band. We'll record it and see how it is. Art has got a perfect setup with a 12-string guitar, puts lower end, lower strings, lower, uh, what do you call it, Art, a lower gauge or something? Yeah, just like thicker strings, basically. Playing stereo through two amps. So it, covers, so it kind of covers the, all the sonic range. You get a little bit of a bass sound on the heavier strings. Totally. That's it. it was really Neil, cool. Neil was, we, we, we saw a little video of you guys playing up in Vancouver, actually. And Neil said, is that a 12-string guitar he's playing? I don't know. I said, I don't know. I can't tell. I can't even tell if it's a real Moss Rider or not. Is that a Moss Rider or is it just like is it something else? No, it's a Depinto. It was a Depinto. Oh, oh Depinto. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. thing was badass. And then I got, then I got sponsored by Burns. Like the U.S. division of Burns. And I had this Burns double six. That thing was badass. And then I just sold it to some clown. But I, I went back. I always go back to the, the Rickenbacker. Uh, I got a 381. It's like the holy grail of Rickenbackers, and the thing is badass. So I got a good collection of 12s. Well, so in, in, that, in, in that interview we saw, A, it was like the worst interview I've ever seen. But you guys were called like, like the Black Ladybugs or some shit. Was that, is that right? 
Yeah, yeah we're we're trying and to when go he says it was the, When he said it was the worst interview, he's not talking about you. He's talking about the guy interviewing you. He just yeah. seemed like he was sort of out of it. Like, yeah, totally Canadian, you know. Like, eh. anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, he wasn't even. You know what? That guy we knew from from Mexico. He was a um, he was a skateboarder. So oh, okay. John Thomas, he's great. He lives in Washington, but he's really like, you know, he doesn't get to the depth of all the shit because he really doesn't even know there's too much to dig through. But, you know, he did the best that he could. It was like a theatrical thing. We were going to be like, we were radiated by, you know, uh, Fukushima, you know, that's what, because yeah, yeah. you know, we formed that <laughs> right after we went over and played Japan with Dennis Tech. So we got radiated in Fukushima and then our skin turned real red and we grew these fucked up teeth and then. <laughs> <laughs> and then you join 999 <laughs> <laughs> that's right we didn't gain any any wet, wet weight like uh guy days you know he uh he blimped out he turned into a blimp yeah he did he did do you have you, have you heard the new album i assume you've heard the new album right do you like it Punk, garbage sucks huh what he turned into the hindenburg anyway yeah it's garbage <laughs> i know neil liked it i was i thought it was a little little plotting well, slow. I mean, but that stuff, a lot of that stuff has always been kind of like that, but I, I didn't mind it too much. I mean, I'm just happy to see they're still doing stuff and putting out new music rather than living on, you know, living on past, past glories or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of true, but, you know, when you compare it to like our all-time 999 favorite album is the biggest prize in sport, and that is a great fucking album. But the, the problem is, Neil, American audiences don't really want new music anyway. All they want to do is hear like the 40 year old songs, you know? So <laughs> I wonder if it even makes, does it even make sense for these older bands to put out new music? I, I don't know. I mean, I nobody wants so. to go hear a new Dead Kennedy song, right? No, you know, I mean, look at the vibrators. They've been playing the same set for the last fucking years. And, and in fact, we're friends with them. Yeah, Art 40 years. on bass for them. Yeah. Art did the bass for them on one of the tours. I did the drums for them on one of the tours, and we're all pals, you know? but they still play the same set and everybody wants to hear baby baby and whips and furs. Yeah. And not only that, when they do, when they do make a new album, they're usually like recording other people's songs from like that same era. Right. They'll record like a bunch of other songs from 1977 that weren't theirs. That's right. Well, you you know know what? There's nothing wrong with that going to enjoy a show like that, but it's, it is funny because European audiences, my understanding is they always want new music, but American audiences, they just want to hear the same crap over and over again. Well to, yes. be fair, well, to be fair with the Vibrators, the first two albums are classic, and everything that came after the first two albums is kind of iffy, is, Less in, than classic. In, in my opinion. So, you know, yeah. I can see why they wouldn't want to play the new songs. Yeah. That's just me speaking. But yeah. no, those those well, first two albums are classic. Because, you know, see, it's like this. Everywhere, like, something new from somewhere else. So, you know, like how the Stray Cats went, went over to England and they made it big over there. Yep. And they couldn't even make it in the United States. No one cared about them until after they made it big in England. So, True. you know, you, you, you see bands like No Effects, who to me, I, I think suck. You know, I, I can't listen to the, that guy or, or girl, whatever he thinks he is. I'm not sure if he even realizes what, what side <laughs> of the fence he's on. I think he's just sitting on the post. You know, he's happy on the post, not doesn't even have to choose one side or the other. <laughs> right. But I don't consider them punk. I don't consider them punk at all. But little headline, Anarchy Festival. Yeah, for 20,000 people or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. What happened? England, the, the capital of punk, where punk came from, where it, it existed under s- certain specific economic conditions, you know, poverty and, and, and you name it and, and monarchy and all that. And they're listening to, to these guys who really have nothing to complain about. You know, and the yeah. little political stances about, you know, 
the Gaza Strip and whatever shit that is. <laughs> Come on, man. It's, it's funny. Neil and I have talked about this many times angrily about how you look at a festival like that and they'll have no effects and like Pennywise. And then under them on the bill, you have a band like The Damned or some classic UK subs, band. UK That's subs or some shit. more important yeah. and way better. But they in the hot rods. But yeah, they just don't draw. Totally. You know, they don't draw as much as the newer. You know, but to see the damned play before Pennywise, yes, that's very uh, hard to hard to stomach. You know. Well, dude, it yeah. was it was it was like a riot fest where the fucking buzzcocks were on in the afternoon. Yeah, play for a half know? hour. Uh, like yeah. like at one o'clock in the afternoon for a half hour. It's like so that we so that Weezer could play for so that yeah. Weezer could play for seventy minutes after dark. You know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's disgusting. Not fair. Yeah, that's kind of why we honestly, that's kind of why we started doing this podcast. because We were just so it's like, ugh, we just want to talk about the old stuff and, you know, play the old music. And it's shocking how many older people are just hearing about bands for the first time. And people write in and go, oh, we never heard the Dead Boys before. We're like, you got to be freaking kidding me. You never heard the Dead Boys. But yeah. Anyway, speaking yeah. of, you know, should, we go to a, should we go to a song break? Yeah, let's play Sing As They Were Just uh, old, <laughs> old Dissing 999. <laughs> we're going to play, we're going to play, uh, Boys in the Gang by 999, right? Is that what great. you wanted? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Great. So this is 999 with Boys in the Gang. Over. 
there, there it was, Boys in the Gang by 999. Neil's, right there. Neil's DJ voice. There you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. It, does, does radio even exist anymore? Could we even get on the radio? Could, could I be a DJ? Does that exist? That's what I you guys know. are doing right now. You guys are doing your own radio thing. Pretty much. I, you know what? Yeah, that that it's funny you say that because I was trying to explain a podcast to my mom, and uh, she just didn't get the concept at all because she's she's ninety two years old. So uh, I'm like, you know, Ma, it's just like I do my own radio show, but we just put it out whenever we want. So she's, a, she's at the bridge. She's at the bridge club with the other ninety year old women going. My son Neil is a very <laughs> famous DJ. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, they're not allowed out the house anymore, though, unfortunately, right? So because of this whole nonsense, so. So yeah. let's talk about punk just for a second, just because. Sure, as long because, as you want. Because the thing we wanted, what we wanted to get across was, we didn't want it to sound like just a regular interview of, oh, just music, this and that, because everything we like that we've ever listened to, because we're kind of what you would call a punk purist. Me and Art are punk purists because we really love punk. There's bands that we, that we like that are also offshoots that cross over punk like Motorhead. And sure. if you ask anybody, that they wouldn't know what to say. They would think that Joe Strummer was the last one carrying the torch. Well, I don't think he really was because the last guy with the cause that took it to the very end with great lyrics that meant something I think was fucking Lemmy. You know what I mean? And he was playing yeah. in the band for a second. So let's talk about causes. Like the thing that punk lost and people lost and they're still doing it. And how many people have turned into their fucking dad or turned into their fucking mom because <laughs> now they got nine to fivers and they're wearing suits and ties, right? because they've lost the cause. Like the people are always complaining about the cops, but they don't understand other stuff that, are, that is on the law side of things about, you know, how are you gonna beat the cops? You gotta figure out how to sue those guys, you know, or, or someone telling you what to do, do they have the right to do that? No, they don't, but you have to start acting. If you're gonna tell people you're gonna carry a gun, well, you better fucking be ready to use your fucking gun instead of crying about it. <clears throat> it's you know true, I mean? and that's what happened with punk, because, it's easy to sit there and complain, but then after a while, you start learning all the, how deep our feet are in this system, not from our own will, but from, you know, like subterfuge and, and, and lies and everything that's been perpetrated on everybody. So, you know, I don't, you know, you, they so, sort of sound like crying kids after a while. You start going, well, you, you didn't finish the job. You know, you got to research your status and where you're at in this whole game, because if you want to get out of it, you can't just say, hey, you know, I'm free. I'm a human. They're not going to recognize that. They don't recognize that. And you can do all the demonstrations you want, man, but it's not going to do shit for you. Nope, because you know what? Where there's a problem, there's a solution, but you can't keep singing about the problem. That's where punk fell and kind of died. Do you think kids these days that listen to punk, a bunch of faggots sponsored by their moms that sit at home playing video games, do you think that's punk, man? That's not punk. Punk, when we were standing outside the Sham 69 reunion show at Punk by the Sea in fucking England, we see Jimmy Percy go in there and me and Art were standing outside listening to him, you know, sing Hirschman Boys and all the great stuff. And everybody there was our age or older, right? And right. we hear these two guys say the most important thing ever they said. And these guys were definitely guys that saw the Buzzcocks and then the adverts and everybody that came out of punk in the early days. And they said, punk is going to die with their creators. And then Becky Bondage walks in and they go, look, not many of us left. And that is exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Exactly right. We can it carry is, it, it on. Go ahead. We can carry say, the torch. You know, you can carry the torch for a little while, but you better have your fucking feet, your feet fucking immersed in it from, from the start because you can't catch up now in 2000, 2020 where you got a cell phone and you got your life handed to you and shit like that, or life's not tough and start claiming punk. Fuck that. 
it is it is very disappointing to me, and it's it's been disappointing that punk as a movement, at least what's called punk now, which is barely recognizable for being honest, has settled for this sort of political mediocrity. Like, oh, we're just going to settle for what we think is this one party that's a little better than the other, instead of saying they're both garbage and we got to stop settling for straps. You know what I mean? Punk politics has gotten so mainstream, it really bums me out. Even in the 90s when they were doing the pogo punk thing, like the 70s rebellion thing, there was like this anti-government, anti but now it's like, oh, people love the government, man. Punks are the first ones to tell you what you ought to do and how you need to follow the rules and all that. It's like, what the hell happened? Well, think about this. If someone's telling you, hey, man, you can't work. Well, you're like, well, I need to work because I got to take care of my family. I got to pay my bills. I got to take care of my kid. And, and they're telling you this because of COVID? Are you fucking kidding me, man? They're going to tell me that here, we're going to give you a $2,000 check when my rent at my shop is going to be, is already $2,800 a fucking month. And you're going to tell me that I can't work and I'm going to have to eat off this check? You know, fuck you. I'm, you. You want your freedom, you take your freedom. You take your freedom because you're a man. Like, for example, you're going to walk across the street. You look to the left, you look to your right. No car's coming. I'm going to go. But then, you know, there's a cop on the other side and the cop says, I'm going to give you a ticket for jaywalking. And you're like, where's the victim? There's no victim. I'm a man. I'm a normal man. I'm a healthy man. I, I'm smart. I'm not hallucinating. I see the streets clear. I'm walking straight across. Why? Because it's my inherent right to make decisions for myself and decide what's best for me. Doesn't matter who's in the government. People can say, talk shit about Trump or whoever. Do you invite those guys to your table for dinner? Fuck no. When those guys take a shit, does that affect you? Fuck no. It doesn't. It doesn't matter who they have in. It doesn't matter who they have out. None of those people are going to have any effect on you unless you want them to be your daddy and you need to ask them for benefits. Like, you know what? I, I need more welfare. You know, how about, you know, why don't you give us a little more money for my bus pass? You know, how about fuck that? How about figuring out your own ways to do that? Or to build your own communities and stuff like that and, you know, make your own currency. You want to exchange acorns today? You know, fucking here's some acorns. You want to suck my, you know, <laughs> five acorns for a BJ. You know what I mean? There you go. Because punk was self-governance. That's the way we took it. Like yep. when we were little, we're like, something's wrong with the system. Everyone's telling us what to do at school. We're kids, you know, we get in trouble for all kinds of shit. Got kicked out of school. And you realize that there's an authority that you don't want nothing to fucking do with. And the Sex Pistols came right out and said all that stuff. But how many of them lived up to, to the very end? I really don't know. And I really don't think that a lot of them have, you know, any of these bands of these days. Maybe Sid was cool because he's self-destructed. I don't think that guy gave a flying fuck about who's in politics. He didn't care. No, I didn't but, care you know, shit. Fuck, we, we're, we are thinking more and more as we go back to our childhood, we're thinking, you know what? If we didn't grow up in such a little pissant little place where people were against us, we wouldn't have been punk and realize that there's a real importance to self-governance. What the fuck do you need to vote for? Votes don't count. You're either an elector and you're a part of a, a signatory and you've got a, you've got a bilateral social compact with the corporation of the United States, or you're going to sit here and be a citizen slave and be told what to do and think that there's a problem, but you're going to live it out till you die like your mom and dad waiting for your fucking faggot pension, your little faggot pension, because you're not resourceful enough to go, hey man, you know what? I don't need to get a benefit or handout from the government. I'm going to work on my own do my own thing and I'm going to fucking use their FRN because I have no choice in the matter. But guess what? I'm self-sufficient. I don't need them. And I'm skating under the table and they can fucking eat my ass. Citizen well, slave. That's a good name for bands. That's, that's definitely the line that. of the sand among the 
current like what passes for punk now and like the older older generation yeah they just didn't want anything to do with government and now they love the government yeah well they love, they love they love one side they love the one side they, don't, don't, even, no, they don't they just love you know it's like you know it's like people love law and order but law and order has become a greater evil than chaos you know Look at what you know. Look at look what Law and Order's brought us. It's brought us something worse than chaos. Anyway, all right. There's Let's no about- there's no Law and Order. There's no Law and Order. You know, remember the Cockney music? Freedom. There ain't no fucking freedom. Anyway, actually, dude, I wanted to talk to you about that. So, yeah. is that is that true that um, when you I'm changing subjects completely, yeah, yeah, but when you fir- when you got your first tattoos, is that because you saw the back of the Power and the Glory album and yeah, saw the Cockney funny. Rejects on there with their tattoos? That's right. We wanted That's to do the little flame, the little fire thing that said, and you know, we put 1977 or we wrote, you know, remember the cause. We did all that homemade. Yeah. On our arms. It's all covered up now, but you know, it was because of that. That's I think he had a, I think he had a tiger as well, didn't he? Didn't, didn't Stinky have a tiger on his arm or something yeah. like that? From what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. The punk, you know, look at the evolution. Okay. So for us, punk was, you know, like you get the funny haircut, you look like you're part of the uniform, you know, your leather jacket and all that stuff. And that was pretty tough at the time. Then next thing you know, that dies and then oi comes out. Right. And then we got into oi. We're like, man, this stuff is, this is great. Because we, we saw an article. It was in Time Magazine. It said, oi, music to riot by. And they were talking about the rejects. We started getting into all those bands. Rejects, Foreskins, Test Two Babies, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Isn't there were some other bands that a lot of people didn't really get into because they weren't exactly politically correct. Ooh, but, Combat 84, one of my favorites. They're great. Yeah, right? Yeah. Screwdriver yeah. was great. Yeah. And then everything moved on and it got really tough. So, okay, you're shaving your head and then you're looking like part of an army. And then what's more fuck you to the world than tattooing at the time? No one had tattoos. So right. all that stuff was aligned with our whole ethos or whatever you would call it, you know, our manifestation, right? So, yeah, that's right. Cockney Rejects inspired that, the whole tattooing on ourselves. Yeah, it's a shame that album was kind of their change and then they started doing more metal stuff before they went back to their roots on the last album. The last album was actually really good. East End Babylon, they released a couple years ago. Yeah, that's that some actually, good Out of the Gutter. What a great song. Yeah, great. That's a great album. That's a great yeah. album, I have to you say. You started by tattooing on yourselves, like like each other, or like you just were oh. on your own arm? Well, we did ourselves first. We got safety pins and ink and then exacto blades, and then we started doing each other, and then we got machines. And now, not only do you have machines, but you guys, so you guys are actually developed your own line of machines or you got some patents or something, right? You guys are, you guys have doing some out there once again, reinventing the tattooing business. What's going on with that? What do you, what are you, what are we looking at? We've got patents on stuff. Like what, what we did was we broke down the machine. We're like, why would someone say this is a better machine than that machine when they have, <laughs> this is pertaining to the, to the electromagnetic machine, which is a coil operated machine, electromagnetic coils as opposed to a rotary machine. So we're like, what would make this better than that if they have the same ingredients? We broke it down. We found out about Goff readings, we, about the correct um, ferromagnetic material to make the coils from, different wire gauges, all the stuff. We broke it down to so much stuff that within like four or five years, we already had five patents you know, hmm. on the stuff. So yeah, we got our, our own machines, which are really groundbreaking electromagnetic coil machines. No one can top that. But we were also really choosy with who we sold to. So it was quality control from, from top to bottom. If anybody sold Chinese stuff in their any distribution, we would say, you know what, fuck you, you can't sell our shit. We don't want to be sitting there on the same page in the catalog as some fucking chink product, you know, no way. We had uh, 10 suppliers globally 
maybe more, maybe like 12. And this is worldwide, right? We um, had a 40 point contract. You break any one of those points and you guys are done. You know, so we ended up firing everybody. Everybody broke all the points. In fact, you know, some of, some of the stuff that really that happened during all this stuff was that we had some, you know, a power supply bootlegged by China. They were selling bootlegs, imitations of our power sure. supply. We had written yeah, a yeah. book that was translated into six different languages, which was just the English version was downloaded over 990,000 times. Illegally. Within right? a year. Within a year. That was what was, the, what was What was the book? Tattoo Machines and Their Secrets. Oh, so, okay. It was about the machines themselves. Okay. Yeah. And the thing was, I mean, if we were, if it's not like we lost a suitcase with like $900 million or whatever, you know, or 90 million, whatever it would have been if, if we were selling out of a hundred, hundred to 140 bucks a pop, you know, you know, just the way, just to show the demand that that book had is incredible. It's a bestseller and it was under the table. And I'll tell you what, the FBI does not enforce copyright infringement because we are trying to call, you know, file claims and no one did anything, but because of that, because of the writing of that book, we were all over the world doing tattoo machine seminars from the bottom of South America to the tip of Africa to everywhere in Europe, everywhere, Germany, Italy, Spain, France, you, you name it. So, so what, what do you do now? Distribute them yourselves or did you find somebody else to distribute these things for you? We don't make them anymore. We just oh, sold the don't? last one a week ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. That no demand. Huh? Yeah, no, no demand. Okay. It's, you know, the, it's just like everything else, like new generations replace the older generations, but people also have a limit as to how much they want to learn and how much they want to invest. So a lot of people sure. claim a lot of shit, but they don't really have the knowledge that's required. Like if I was going to go to a surgeon and he says, well, I specialize in remove, removing belly buttons, right? And it, what he's telling you, just like any tattooer says, I specialize in traditional. He says, I'm limiting myself to this. Why? You want to ask him why? Well, because it's the best. No, you don't want to know why. The, the reason why you're limiting yourself is because you don't have the capacity or intellect to, to educate yourselves on, on a broader uh, spectrum right. to understand what you're doing to the client. Instead of buying a box of needles, just because it says needles, understand the length of the tapers of those needles, the gauge of the needles. What's this needle going to do? Is it going to damage the skin? Or are you going to get blood or you're not going to get blood? How smooth is your shading going to be? They don't have any interest in learning any more than they know. You know, it's just, just like the ego gets in the way. So these people decide that once they think they know enough and they're making enough money, why do they need to learn any more? So that's what we decided. You know, we were trying to educate the industry so that they could say, hey, you know, we don't want these guys selling. We don't want to buy supplies from these guys because they're selling Chinese. You know, we, don't, we want to clean up our industry. We want to take back our industry from people who are investing in an industry that are not even part of the industry. Like for example, we've been asked to be on Miami Inc, New York Inc. They in interviewed us and we told them, hey, you know, before we sign any contracts, how are you gonna clean up the mess you made of our industry? Cause it's not your industry, it's our industry. Not yours, you guys are just TV producers and you're looking for drama. What are you gonna do to clean it up? They didn't understand the question. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's all about integrity and we were trying to purify and educate you know, uh, something that's given so much to us, but no one's receptive. And now it's generationally, you know, you know obsolete because people don't want to understand. So we're not selling on any of our stuff anymore. Well, there was, so, there was so much money to be made in it, you know, yeah. for, the last, for the last 10 years, right? So people didn't feel like they needed to learn anything probably, right? Because they, they didn't just make many to. hand over fist. 
That's it. And in fact, it was like the second fastest growing business in, in North America for a while behind, I don't know what, you know, maybe Pornhub or something like that, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, <they> probably were, <laughs> yeah. they're cleaning up. No, that's cool. Um, okay. Let's, let's play something else. Um, I think we had, let's see, maybe Motorhead or the Clash. What would you like to, what would you like to put on next? Do Motorhead in the name of okay. tragedy. That's a great All right. One. There we go. Motorhead in the name of tragedy. Motorhead in the name of tragedy. So we got a really good playlist going today. I'm really digging this because when I when I said come up with some songs, I didn't know if you guys were gonna do like bands that you'd been involved in or stuff like that. But actually, it's uh it's very cool and it fits in with exactly what we do. So you know, but and uh, everything we've covered. Yeah, exactly right. But uh, I would have been happy to do whatever to tell you the truth because uh, I I trust you guys pretty much implicitly. I mean, so. I kind of feel I feel like we almost have to play one of 
like exploding fuck dial song or something, don't we? Well, like I say, we did we did a couple of episodes ago, so I don't oh, think I right, want to play. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't want to play. Um, I mean, as good as it is, I don't want to play American Bombs again. You know, uh, so, we, so, we just we just played it, but uh, you can so play the last of the Badman. Last of the Badman, Badman's got some great stuff. I mean, you know, there's some stuff that's current, like um, you could even do, um, uh, I don't know, phone junk, because there it is. The towers are broadcasting microwaves. You know. Hmm. Nowhere is safe is another great song too. Nowhere is safe. Because really, where are you going to go that's different? You know, everybody, everybody's on lockdown. Everyone's doing the same thing. You can't escape to like Virgin Islands and think you're going to be free from this commie crap. You can play <laughs> Tail Block or Get in Line. Get in Line is a great one. Dude, yeah. I, was actually, I was actually thinking Tail Block. Because yeah, uh, yeah, I, li- I like that song a lot. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah, when we get to the end of the show, we'll do, we'll do Tail Block by, by you guys. Um, last, last of the Bad Men, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last of the Bad Men, yeah. So, um, Tom, did you have, did you have other, other questions? I, I forgot where we were, to tell you the truth. I don't know where we are either. We always go all over the place. That's part, yeah, of, the fun of, the, that's part of the fun of the journey. Yeah, it is, it is, it is. Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, let's get you guys' opinion. So a couple of episodes ago, we did the Johnny versus Johnny versus Johnny episode, Ooh. which was, which was who was the, uh, on the spot. yeah, who was the, uh, who was the biggest influence in punk rock, Johnny Ramone, Johnny Rotten, or Johnny Thunders. So uh, we had our opinion, but how about you two? Say Johnny Rotten. Johnny Rotten, okay. Yeah, that's where punk yeah. started. Right there. What do you think, you For sure. Because everybody said, God, I get changed when I saw the pistols. Paul Weller even said that when he's talking about the jam days. When he saw oh, yeah. the pistols, he's like, oh my God, you know what? We have clients also we've tattooed who've seen the pistols. And in fact, I tattooed this one guy who's seen the jam and the pistols, and he said the pistols by far. And I would have to say, yeah, Johnny Rotten, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. I mean, Johnny, Johnny, I mean, the Ramones influenced an awful lot of bands too. So, hey, Brixie, I I, Ramones or Johnny are uh, Sex Pistols? Which one? <laughs> Come over here and say it. <laughs> Come here. See what the younger generation says, huh? Yeah. Tell us hey. which ones. Fucking which ones? Ramones and. Sex pistols. Pistols, sex pistols. Pistols. I like both. So there you go. Good choice. Well, we, we all yeah, like good both. What's that, Tom? I said we all like both, but which one's better? Which one's better? Both. They're both good. See, there you go, Manny. That's where that's where I was too. I was like, I can't make that decision. And I've got Johnny Thunders in there too. I'm I'm freaking, you know, I'm even on all of them for me. Yeah. Well that yeah. well, thank you. So who 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 was that? Who was that art? That was my kid, Brixton. Brixton? Yeah. Love it. So are you guys, are you, did, did I read somewhere? Are you guys, you guys anti-drug, anti-alcohol? Are you guys, are you guys straight? Did I read that somewhere or is that, is that in my, my mind? Well, we've never drank or done drugs in our lives. So, you know, to say straight edge implies part of a movement. We're not part of any movement. Just for us, we were never interested in any of it. I mean, when we were getting into skateboarding, all our friends decided they're going to start partying and stuff. And the only part of that we wanted to have to do with was, you know, girls. You know, but um, that's true. That that is always the hardest part of straight is to swallow, isn't it? Well, we don't swallow, <laughs> so we're uh, uh, so for we us, you know, I set like, you up for that one. Yeah, you did. We don't we don't care if people do it. We're what we're not into is self abuse. And the other only other thing too is there's a lot of shit coming down the pipe right now that people should probably start waking up and thinking. You know, I need to be facing some stuff with clear head because. Yeah. You know, you're going to go do your drunk drinking and partying and tell me how you're going to recover and get your Phoenix tattooed on you because you're, re- you know, you're renewing from the ashes and all your shit. 
you should have thought of that before because now you're so far behind the starting line because when the shit comes down the pipe with the mandatory vaccines, you better be ready to fucking fight. So, so when, some, when somebody comes to you guys, I mean, you said, you know, some people specialize in traditional or whatever. I mean, if, if, if I come to you looking for a tattoo, which I definitely will if I'm out in either of your uh, areas, I mean, do you have a specialty then or you, do, you just feel like you guys pretty much can do any style at this point? We do anything and everything, but if you asked us what our favorite thing to do, we would tell you little high detail realism, whether it's a portrait of a chick or a, or a little ship sailing out in the ocean or, you know, little high detail is our all time favorite, but we do anything and we do anything well. Like we can do Japanese, we can do traditional, we do lettering, we can do, because you had to grow up. We grew up doing that stuff at, at street shops where you have no time to think when someone comes in and picks some flash off the wall. Like if it's Jack Rudy flash or like, tattoo time flash you know some of that cheap stuff would look a little rose you had to know how to do everything and the techniques <laughs> with it so yeah we do it all and you know for us also too you know we didn't we don't depend on stencils sometimes you know if it's something specific we have to use a stencil for example like portraits and things like that but we've <laughs> had to learn to be able to draw on the skin with a ballpoint pen because you know first of all in the beginning we didn't have access to that technology sure, sure. But second of all you want to make money or you don't want to make money you want to put someone off till tomorrow, the fucking thousand dollars you could make today. What's the, ch what, the guy might not make it back tomorrow. You know, it's a lot of the people, the way, the way they tattoo these days, they're like prima donnas, like acting like they're, you know, they're God's gift to the client when really it's about customer service. So when they come to us, what do you want? Let's do it right now. You know, mm -hmm. you want a portrait the size of a dime? Yeah, fuck black and gray or color. What's it going to be? Hey, do, wow. I do, do I remember one of you two guys has the, um, the cover of the magazine single? on your side yeah that's me shot by both that. sides yep i, have oh, I remember seeing that that looks fucking fabulous that looked amazing who did that did art do that on you no there was a girl that i used to work with named l and she was uh kind of a little bit nervous to tattoo me because me and art got so much years in it she was like oh my god i don't want to do it I'm like fucking do it and it turned out awesome it's good some of it's bleeding out you know but not bad it's good well that's a, i mean that's a uh tom i i assume you don't know that it's it's the single shot by both sides but it's I'm like a, it right now. it's like a uh I, I don't know how old the painting is but it's a really old painting right so that would be a really intricate tattoo to do so uh cool. yeah that was uh, i always was always amazed by that because i always love it if anyone has even heard of the band magazine right yeah and that's uh, a great song too that shot by both sides is so great we play that when we tour with dennis tech which is kind of funny because he was, you know, he didn't like a lot of punk, but he liked the Pistols and he liked the Dead Boys and he wanted to cover that song. So we ended up doing Shot by Both Sides on a lot of European tours in Japan. Great, great song, you know. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. is it kind of like a, like a weird, like almost like a screen like it's got female faces or what does it look like? You know? Oh no, that's the album Real Life. No, it's the single. Oh, okay. it's, it's, like, it's like a black and white cover. So if you just look up All Shot right. by Both Sides um right. on this guy yeah it's it's the it's the first magazine single um huh. from like 78 i think someone like that yeah massively underrated band so, um, so you guys have got so you so you fixed like you gave yourselves early tattoos you did the stick and pokes and then you've gone over those at the years so both of your arms are pretty much i mean do you have any idea your sheer quantity at this point i mean is there any i mean is it 200 is it i mean do you have any idea or does it not even matter at this point we would break it down to hours probably if we had to break it down to hours, you know, cause everything runs together. So we couldn't tell you we have a certain amount of individual tattoos. We would just have to break it down to time. So I don't know. We probably have over a hundred and some hours on our bodies. Maybe yeah, 150. probably maybe more. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, what's interesting, though, I'm, I'm looking at both of you right now and there's nothing on your necks, obviously nothing on your faces because that's ridiculous, no. but nothing on your necks or anything like that. Or we our see, hands. We not, not on your hands? Okay. Travel. So, you know, when you do a lot of international travel, you got to go through customs and, you know, in certain places that are fucked up like Salvador or like, you know, Nicaragua, they see stuff on your hands and neck. They could very well tell you, you know what, man, you look too sketchy. Oh, it might be gang, gang no. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Okay, so I mean, keep those hands. I know you've been dying to get some on your hands. Keep I them have. clean. You know, you travel internationally all the time. I have. I've been dying. That's the one place I've been dying to get tattooed now is on my hands. But yeah, if I haven't you get, done it yet. You get some dumbass kid in there who doesn't have a tattoo yet, and they want their first tattoo to be on their face. Do you do it? Fuck yeah, we do anything anywhere. We don't care. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know not, there are some people that won't do like face tattoos for first. But the thing about it is that it's not their job to moralize it. Yeah. You know well, I mean? somebody else will do it if you won't, you know. Exactly right. And it's not always just about the money. It's about, like, this is what the person wants. They believe in what they're, who's going to, you know, deny them their cause. You know, they might have a reason for it. Unless they came and wasted or something like that. Count your yeah. fingers. How many fingers do you have? Ten, right? Now, what about P-U-S-S-Y-E-A-T-E-R? One letter per finger. Spell it out. Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen that I've seen that tattooed on the upper lip like a mustache. That's yeah. uh that's a classic. We met that guy. His name's Green Eyes. Is there anything he won't do as far as tattoos go? Is there anything you meant to say no to? That's no, a good question. Not really. Not really. No? Well there you go, Tom. You can get that one that you wanted then. <laughs> I can get my butthole tattooed like a cave for uh, like a, like a, like a, that seems a little painful, but hey, whatever. Yeah. Hey, so of all the countries, you, you keep talking about all the countries you've been to. What's your, fa- what's your favorite place to go to, to visit? Well, we were, we were born in Mexico City. To us, we have a special place for Mexico. Mexico, okay. we, we've been all over that country and, and we love it. That place has everything, well, before all this crap, you know, because they don't hesitate to put the army on the streets to regulate. But yep. to us, that's our favorite. But we've been to Cape Town. That's an awesome city. And we've been hmm. everywhere. Lima is pretty cool. We've done a lot of great things in Lima, female wow. stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say there was a sly smile on the face right there. Yeah. Everywhere <laughs> you go, we've done it, you know. Great. I bet. So do you like England or not? I mean, you've been to we England love numerous England. times. Yeah. We, love, we, we love, love England. Australia. France is great. Germany was great. Not as great as France, but <laughs> it's all great. <laughs> is it a, is it getting back to girls again is that what we can do there yeah that sly smile on his face again yeah, you can't live without bread alone yes I, yes i <laughs> I, under, I understand yeah i think you might be taking that out of context but hey who am i, who am I <laughs> hey, so, so what, go no, ahead sorry. go ahead tom no i was gonna say so what's next for you guys what's what's uh What's what's the current the current goal? I mean, we working on new music. Are you guys working on new music, or are you? Uh, what what are you working on? Are you, I mean, take this time where you can't really do much else. Are you working on some stuff, or what are you what are you doing? Well, right now I'm working. Me and Brixton are working on some kids' books, and really? um, yeah, great how great many, shit. How many kids do you have? Just one that I know Just of. One. Brixton, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there might be some more in Lima somewhere, but. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and then how about you, Steve? You've, I know Knox, of course, but... Uh... Knox, and then I, I found out about uh, 32 years ago, I had another one, and this guy just tracked me down uh, like two years ago, right around Christmas, like, t- was it 2018 or something? And 
turns out the guy drums and he skateboards and he's into music and stuff like that, but he also works for the FBI. So I just got done visiting him with, with the guy. I just flew back last night, actually. Wow. You, you could tell he was raised by professional parents because he's like, they went to college and all this other shit where, you know, if I would have raised the guy, he would have been crazy like Knox is, but, but he's really great. And the, the funny yeah. thing was, was all the commonalities that we had after all, not even being with him the whole time. And the funny thing is, even one of the funniest things is that his mom tried to sell him to an undercover FBI agent in New York City, and now he's working for the FBI. Wow. Yeah. Is that wow. some shit or what? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. But have yet to val validate that and verify it, but that was the word when her mom called my mom, our mom, I mean, and said, hey, Vicky had this kid. She tried to sell him to the FBI, backfired because she thought it was just like a cool black market sale. But... <laughs> they were going to pin it on her and all that. And sure enough, the guy, I go, what do you do for work? He's like, I work for the FBI and the CIA. And we're like, oh, shit, you should have just stayed there when you were fucking a baby, man. That was your home. <laughs> you like one of those super agents that they raised from, they raised from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. So, it makes you wonder if that skateboarding, a little bit of the, the music, a little bit is in the DNA or something, huh? must be. Fuck yeah, yeah, man. Totally. Phenotypic plasticity. It's in there, man. It's in there. That's a good <laughs> word. Don't know what it means, but sure. That sounded good. <laughs> yeah, it's like if your your great aunt liked the color brown, and for some reason you you know woke up with a brown ring around your mouth, and you're like, man, I like brown. Jesus, <laughs> 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 related. Oh uh, yeah. Either, but I'm on that side. Yeah. Hey Steve. Hey Steve. So how how is Knox doing these days? Uh, are you you guys? I mean, does he he doesn't live with you still or anything like that, right? No, Knox is he's all right. He he yeah. had another kid, you know, and I have a problem with that because I don't like the chick, but. Knox is great. He's funny. He's the thing about Knox is he, he's the epitome of like, I don't give a fuck about anything. And he just cruises. Like he has no problem couch surfing. Mm -hmm. He has no problem not having a job. He can hustle anywhere, anytime. He's like, but you know, he does some fucked up stuff. Like I wish Knox wouldn't drink so much, but Knox is, uh, I don't know, man. He's, he's punk as they come really is the way it is. He's an anomaly, man. Like when he got locked up and he went to, to uh, LA County, he was going through processing and they said to him, well, what are we going to do with you? You're a little redhead kid. You know, you got a Spanish last name. Your Spanish last name goes back to Spain, but you know, a lot of Mexicans have that. Are we going to put you in with the Mexicans with your complexion or are we, <laughs> we're going to put you in the white with the whites with, with your name. Spanish yeah, with last name. name? He's like, I don't give a fuck. Put me wherever you want. So they send him to, in with the Mexicans. He goes into this cell where there's a guy in there named Sharky. Yeah, you do too. Spanish last name. So... <laughs> Sharky, Sharky was in there for murder for killer, killing his chick's boyfriend or something like that. And um, he's Mexican. He says to Knox, what are you doing here? And Knox is like, I don't know, man. They just put me here. He's like, yeah, but you're white. He goes, yeah, but I got a you know, Spanish last name. He goes, what's your last name? Knox goes, Godoy. The guy says, oh, my God, Godoy, that's a Mexican name. There's a lot of Mexicans in here with that name. He says, um, you're welcome around here, bro. He goes, what's your name? He goes, Knox. He goes, oh, no, you, you can't go around here with that name. We're going to call you Big Red. So, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. mean all Godoys are criminals. I mean, yeah. the original Godoy who we're related to used to used to uh, do it with the Queen of Spain because the Queen was, you know, he was sitting on the fence posts, right? If you know what I mean. So <laughs> he ended up having a lot of kids with uh, Manuel Godoy, who was king of the Queen's armies. So mm. you know, they kind of see the last name as like kind of like part royalty. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I I love Spain. That's probably it. It's probably my favorite country, actually. If I could live anywhere else, I'd probably live in Spain. Great I, to play know. at, even northern Spain, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Great for music. Yeah.
Barcelona is an amazing, amazing city. Um, tell you what, let's play. You know what? I'm going to play. Um, you wanted to listen to The Clash, so we're going to do Cheapskates by The Clash. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic song. cheapskates the clash um what would you guys say favorite clash album that's a good one that's a good question to ask give them enough rope yeah give them enough rope give them enough that's rope. amazing yeah. that's my fucking favorite one too like i get yeah. so tired of people saying london calling because i don't think that's a patch on the first uh, two albums. first album dude the first album 
Yeah, I mean, first album's great too, but I think yeah. Give Him Enough Rope is the is the is the better album personally. But... I, I probably only heard like the bastardized like American version of the first album anyway. So yeah, first album was really great. It had a really a bunch of great hits. You know, some of the stuff I think some of the mixes are kind of weird. You know, like it's it's almost stomach turning in some of them. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to explain the the mix, but when you listen to Give Him Enough Rope, I mean, just the beginning of Guns on the Roof. Mm-hmm. Just that guitar tone, and the fact that they had Sandy Perlman who was doing like Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult, yeah. But when he was explaining how he got the drum mix and the sound of the snare by like you know reverse reverb or something like that, how like the it went expanded and and it ended up concentrated in the sound of the snare. It's like that record is a great record, and the words alone, just to Cheapskate, Cheapskates is like. Just read, listen to the words. It's genius. It's genius. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just love, I mean, even from the first song, Safe European Home, that is such a, uh, it's so damn good. It's just so, that whole album just holds together. It holds together as an album, whereas I think the first album, I mean, it's great, but it was clearly just a culmination of the shit they'd been playing for two years, you know? So it didn't really come together as an album in, in quite the same way, I don't think. I, I think the second album is, is by far their best album. Yeah, and then London Calling. I don't even know what to say about London Calling because well, it's 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 fine, but mm. you got to kind of hand it to them because it shows that they they had, were really capable of playing a lot of great things, especially when you you know read about how they had to put little sticky tabs on the on the neck of the bass for Paul Simon to learn yeah. how to play. <laughs> yeah, but it just showed what they really became capable of. It's it's a shame that it got polluted with so much crap. And at the end, Joe had no idea which way. He didn't know whether he was coming or going. He was like, piss and come. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> so. <laughs> and then by the time it got, San, yeah, by the time it got to Sandinista, they were just, yeah, record, basically putting out anything that they'd recorded, right? So. Yeah. Kind of a shame. Hey, getting back to the skating again. So how much skating do you guys still do? Do you, do you, do you guys still skate today or are you guys kind of yeah, hung up do. a little bit? We skate. I try to go at least once a week if I can. Nowadays, the parks are kind of closed. So I'll just maybe just cruise down to the little beach ditch right down here off the bike path and just cruise around, you know. Yeah, there's so, there's so many parks out today as well. I mean, people don't realize how lucky they have it today. I mean, I used to have yeah. to drive three or four hours to go to a park and now they're like every five minutes, right? They're just fucking totally. everywhere. Or yeah. drive three or four hours to get to the half pipe, the backyard ramp yes. where the parents aren't letting you ride today because, you know, they got some family event or something, you know? Yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you, do, do, are you the surfer then, Art? Because you're, you're, in, you're in Southern California. You're the surfer, I assume? Yeah, I no, surf whenever I can. Like, lately, oh, no, Steve, I'm sorry. Steven, you're, in, Steven, you're in Southern California. Or you're in, up north. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. Yeah. Steve, yeah. you're the surfer? Yeah, we we surf whenever. Like, what we like to surf in Mex. Like around here, sometimes the swells. Like right now, it's in it's uh, it's getting to be where it's south swells, and soon it'll turn into west northwest swells, and then we get better swells in the winter time. But most for where I'm at, the waves don't really hit that well this time of year, unless you want to surf Huntington. So I don't know. I'll paddle out whenever it's at least worth paddling out for. I assume Vancouver's a little chilly to be, even in the best of times, is a pretty chilly place to be surfing, even in the summer. It's cold. It's cold. It's on the other side of, you have to go on the other side of, other side of Vancouver Island. I mean, the amount of time it takes to get to those waves, you could be surfing warm water in Mexico. I mean, it takes yeah. about four and a half hours to get over there. And it's not even worth it when you're wearing like a six, five suit, which is like a thick, it feels like you're, you're swimming with someone doing push-ups on your back. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. It's too much. It's too heavy. So we we like to surf Mexico. It's our favorite. So do you still have any skate sponsors or anything like that? Or do you do you just skate whatever? We had a deck put up by Moonshine Skateboards, and we get stuff from him. We get Bones wheels, and we get Ace trucks. Yeah, Ace are great. Moonshine. I haven't heard of Moonshine. Yeah, and, the guy's cool. Yeah. Look at the most recent deck. It's a kind of like a variation of our Kryptonics deck, except it's got even worse. Uh, it's gnarlier, gnarlier. <laughs> Were you gonna so say even graphics, worse? Even worse graphics. <laughs> There was a yeah. combo that was going to be our one of our first Zorlac graphics combined with the Kryptonics graphics. Yeah, Kryptonics. I have a sticker around here somewhere. Let me see. Here it is. Can you see it? Oh, that's actually yeah, that's actually not bad at all. See the finger cool. and see the bottom. The the there's like see the little devil girls and you see that like demon running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all part of the original Zorlac and the where it says Godoy that was going to be on the Zorlac. Okay. So we yeah. changed the heads. You see, we got the heads with the four eyes now. Yep. Because we wear glasses, we got four eyes. I, I, I see, I see. Five years later, you finally got that Zerlock design. Huh? That's funny. So I was wondering if Pusshead was going to do that graphic for you. Oh, you'd already, you'd already got it all figured out. Well, yeah, we tried to get a hold of him, remember Art? And he never yeah. wrote back. Never got anything back from him. Is that guy still alive? I haven't heard anything about Pusshead in fucking decades. Yeah, I think he's in like Nebraska or some one of those uh, states out in the middle where you don't really hear much of anything going on from, there. Like, wasn't he from like Boise? Idaho. Yeah, yeah it was from Idaho. That's so. right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's Brian funny. Schroeder. Yeah, Brian Schroeder, the preeminent skate, uh, I mean, the uh, punk artist for a while, and he was from fucking Idaho. It's, yeah. Uh, well, in fact, you know, he did some, I mean, he, he made some money being an artist. I mean, he was very successful. He did Metallica stuff. And he, he, uh, you, uh, you guys still uh, keep in contact with any from anybody from back in the day, back in the old days? Rarely. One of the funny ones that we talked to is John Schulte's. He's yeah, a John Schultes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Schultes is on the East Coast now. We still talk to him. Um, a lot of people kind of fell by the wayside, but whenever we see people, they're still cool. Like, you know, we saw Grasso, you know, sometime before he died, and he was, he's always nice and respectful and shit. He's cool. Mm -hmm. hmm. He had a crest tattoo on his elbow, from what I remember. Is that right? I think, yeah. Yeah, I think he had a crest tattoo, which is interesting because he was kind of a hippie, I think, back in the day before he before he got into punk and stuff like that so uh do you do you ever get invited to any of the like old man skate contests and shit like that and no. the van stuff none of the van stuff no 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 not really hmm and then but you, but you were still doing some of the h street reissues because h street reissued all the shit right and you guys yeah, still had your hand in there yeah we did but the thing about it is there's there's a lot of stuff that was going on with that and something never sat right and one of the things that never sat right with us was Back in the beginning, when we did Iron Cross, you know, they decided to pull the plug on us. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of stuff that was going on back then, too, with Iron Cross, because we were started, it wasn't just a skate company anymore. It started to become sort of a little organization, and we had a lot of people all over the world that were part of this. So people had to watch their step. Otherwise, you know, just they're one phone call away from, you know, could you, could, you know, you wouldn't even know what was, could happen. Mm -hmm. And so, when he, when Tony got a hold of me and he said he wanted to re reissue stuff, I said, that's cool. But I knew what was going to happen. It was going to be bad accounting. You weren't going to be getting paid what you were supposed to get paid. I had a tech deck that was issued. I never got a contract for that. The tech deck went all over the place. I got a check for like 52 bucks. I'm like, where's the fucking contract? That's mm -hmm. my name. You know, I didn't license my name to you. I own my name. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so all these things started happening. We pretty much washed our hands. The other thing too was, and no one realizes, Tony was par partners with Mike Ternaski. Ternaski was going behind Tony's back. He ended up making plan B. 
caught Tony off guard. But the thing about it, Tony, while he was busy trying to beat Tony Hawk in contests, he was perpetuating the death of vertical skateboarding. Right. Because all it takes is a few good men who not to not do anything. And it's just the same as having your hand hand in, you know, the camp of the army that's trying to destroy what's important and what's valuable that you should be fighting for. So by his inactivity, um, we all became obsolete. Right. So yeah. they let they were one of the bigger biggest progenitors of, of street skating as we know it today, because the street people that were skating for H Street at the time which to us at the time, they were nothing but street guys who were too scared to do any kind of vert tricks on vert. They were doing vert tricks on little banks like Hensley. Right. You do a two-foot backside air on a two-foot you know, bank, but it basically was a bunny hop and <laughs> it gets massive glory for all that kind of crap. So you know, we had our hands in that pie until we decided, you know what? Fuck this, man. Fuck yeah. this. So we, we contacted Moonshine and the guy says, I'd, it'd be an honor to do that. For, I'll make a deck for you guys, no problem. And there's going to be a real vulgar one coming out, a flat 10-inch pig coming out sometime in the next couple months, hopefully. Oh, cool. Yeah, look for that. Look for that. Yeah. yeah. And then didn't, didn't you guys have some shoes as well? Didn't you guys have a shoe contract where you, you had a shoe that looked like an old-fashioned uh, creeper? No, no, what happened was this, man. The guy, Tony, decided he was going to do an Osiris shoe and he was going to make some yeah. for, the, for the different people, but we didn't have a hand in designing any of that. Okay. It was probably just an overstock of misshaped shoes that he sells you, which you would buy in the second hand lot at Marshall's because <laughs> none of those shoes ever fit good. You couldn't skate in them. And he just put a you know, decorative insole in there and sewed it like a name on the tongue. Yeah. I would have never put my name on a tennis shoe like that. And I got a royalty check for 230 bucks for what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was yeah. that. But we, I we had, I'm like, this is some gnarly shit. We had <clears throat> offers to have a line of pants by a company called Dockers. You know, Dockers, you wear yeah. that shit to court or to funerals. Right. But we designed pants that were so gnarly and so punk and so radical. The samples that came out were fucking insane. And right after that, they had already been through four presidents and they said, hey, look, we got to pull the plug on the project. So we had already designed our own shoes. We have our own designs for punk pants and clothes. We've got jackets that are fucking badass. We've got a bunch of shit, you know, stuff even made out of ostrich and all st this gnarly shit. Ostrich? Yeah, you should see the stuff. The stuff's <laughs> fucking unreal. Anybody who's punk would be proud to wear this shit. D-rings and all kinds of shit. And we were going to mm -hmm. go take it to John Varvatos and go, hey, man, you know, you like Radio Birdman. Why don't you do this? But, you know, just like everybody else in, in these businesses, they're all un unoriginal and they like to claim punk. So why would we want to give our inventions, our babies, to people who don't deserve? Well, he'd be selling that fish shit for like $600 probably too. So no yeah, one would be able to afford this, yeah. this, this yeah. stuff anyway, you know. And you'd get bad accounting and, you know, what are you going to get? A royalty royalty check for 33 bucks, you know. Here's your year's <laughs> worth of sale, good always 33 bucks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you guys you guys collect vinyl? I assume you do, right? You still have all, all your old records yeah. and shit like that? Yeah, still yeah. got them all. Yeah, Everyone. me too. How, how, like, what's some of your favorite albums you think that you got from back in the day? Well, one of the most radical ones that's worth a lot is the city slang single by the fucking Sonic Rendezvous band that we got from Dennis Tech. And it was a one of 80 made. And it's fucking rad to have that in the collection. It's worth a lot of money. I looked it up on Discogs. I go, holy fucking shit. So that's one of the favorites. Oh, never, even, never even heard of that. That's interesting. Yeah, there, was, there was a post, post MC5 okay. band. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
I'm, great. I'm Michigan. I, don't, I don't know if I mentioned that, but I'm in Michigan. I'm a big fan of all those bands too, even though I'm a little too young. They were around the time I was being born, they were coming out, but, but, you know, been on the, you know, so anyway, yeah, I love those early Michigan punk bands. Love the early eighties hardcore bands too, like negative approach and Meatman and all that stuff too. But, but anyway, yeah. Chris Opie Moore. We never met Chris Opie Moore. Anybody ever skate with him that, you know? Um, not that I know really, but I'm not really in that in the skate world. If we're being honest, that's more Neil's. That's more Neil's thing. Yeah, but he, he, yeah, he was the original. Yeah, the original negative approach drummer. I don't think he's with them anymore. Yeah. Man, Art, remember when we when we used to go to the Midwest in the early days? We were like 16. We'd take the bus from Lancaster to go skate the turf with the Bowdoin oh, brothers. Oh yeah, I know those guys. And, where, where were they? Where they were from? Milwaukee. They yeah, were in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw a bunch of bands out there, like the Tar Babies and then the Effigies. And Zero we saw Boys. Detroit oh, yeah. Yep. Zero Boys. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Great. Yeah. yeah. Great, great days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I got to check out you guys. I got to head over to the shop and do work. Art, you want to finish it up and say some great yeah, shit? Okay. All right. I'll call you Hello. after. Thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on, Steve. Talking, Appreciate it, man. Totally. Yeah, this is awesome. Talk to you yeah. guys later. Take it easy. I suppose we should consider letting Art have his life back too, but we do appreciate you coming on and talking to us, Art. It's uh... yeah, no problem. We're stoked to do it. Really no, it was, it was awesome to uh, it was awesome to get in touch again after all these years because I know we did a couple of interviews on Skate and Annoy on the website and stuff like that, but it's still been yeah. a good twenty years or some shit. It's funny so, how so, time goes, man. It's so that was still goes. that was still snail mail then, or what? Neil, you guys were like corresponding back and forth by letter, or was that email, or what was that? The first one we did with them when we actually were putting up the paper zine that was all snail mail. Snail so, mail, totally. Yeah. And then we did, and then when we Skate Nanoi went on the website, and this was early days of a website, this was like 97, 98. That we was did email. some stuff. I don't remember if that was snail mail or if that was email at that point, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's how it was back then. Then, you know, he'd, he'd send me some stickers and I'd be so stoked that, you know, you've got stickers in the mail and shit like that. That was amazing. It was so great. And we were always stoked too, looking for the next issue of Skate Nanoi. Yeah. You know, it was great. The, the stickers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah and yeah oh you know what that's and that's why what that's why gator was angry at me the one time i met him because we were, i was wearing a vision street wimp shirt and he's like what the fuck does that mean yeah exactly that's exactly what it means yeah 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 exactly like well it means what you think it means buddy oh you know? it's, it's funny because i obviously i'm a little too young uh, you know and so i i uh man i those vision street were high tops I thought yeah. those were the coolest shoes when I was in like eighth grade, but that would have been like 1987 or something. You know, I, I did think those were the coolest. So yeah, I guess you, I, yeah, you were the guys that we were hating on then, Tom. I'm afraid. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, <laughs> I, I skated when I was very young, but I, I gave it up when I got older, and I, I held on to my, I had a freestyle bike I held on to for quite a while, but once I started driving and meeting girls and stuff, I sort of just left, left it behind. You know, like I used to use, use my skateboard to get from point A to point B, but once you, you know, once you got my dad's station wagon. Yeah, well, don't really need that. Anymore. Yeah, we'll see. No. Just look, just look at art. All the, all the, all the girls in uh, Lima, Peru, you might have had if you kept skating. You know. <laughs> well, it's, it definitely sounds like it's been a wild life. I love that. Man, I could, we could tell you stories for days. This is just not even scratching the surface. We got some gnarly, gnarly stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, like seriously. <laughs> how how serious are you talking about? Yeah, because you've already told us about people dying. He doesn't want to become a felon. Oh, that's, he doesn't want to become a felon. That's, that's just like a tiny one compared to some of the gnarly stuff. Yeah. What's, funny, what's funny, Neil, is that he's not a drinker and he's got all these stories. Yeah. Imagine what he'd be like if he was... Well, that's why you can remember everything. 
Yeah, you, sure, there, you attract like-minded, you know, yeah. you, you, you get all kinds and you don't even, you don't even know, you don't even bargain for it. But the thing about us was we'd always judge people on, on merit and basically on their, on their daring. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? People, yeah. people who couldn't comply with the things that, that they said that they were going to do it. You write them off. You don't need them. People who say they're going to do something and they do it. Those are the people that you want in your camp. People who've gone through certain things. They don't get offended when you say certain things, you know, those are the kind of people that you want in your camp. Yeah. Sure. And it's, you know, like, I don't know if you ever find this, but sometimes you find yourself talking to someone and you're like, I, I got a vibe from this person. I got a feeling that I got to really rein it in and I got to tone it down because they're, they're going to misunderstand. They're not going to understand because they don't have the life experience that I have. They don't yeah. understand. They're not going to be able to pick it up. They're not going to get it. Right. You know what I mean? Definitely. Not that I care if I offend, but you know, when I'm somewhere trying to line up some, you know, like, uh, cause I can't say it cause my kids here, <laughs> you know, we talked about it. Yes. Um, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is, you know, like scare them away until later, once they understand your dynamic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I understand reading between the lines right there, my friend. Yeah. That. yeah. That's it. Well, that's how, that's how it was funny that, yeah, like I said, the one time I only ever met you in person, um, it was, it was like, we've been friends forever it was like one of those immediate things it was weird it was totally. actually pretty weird yeah you know, it's but, almost like you knew somebody cool. in another life it's kind of a weird thing it is right yeah it is so um i, I guess the last question i one was the last question but like when you guys decided to move was that difficult because you guys have always been together right so when you decided to move up to vancouver that must have been that must have been tr tricky for you guys well <clears throat> we had the idea that i was going to get up here get established and bring him up but the thing was that he had, he had Knox and we were raising Knox ever since Knox was about a year and a half old. We got custody because his mom became a dirty junkie scum. Hang on. Call you back in a minute. I'm doing an interview. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so she ended up becoming a real junkie scum. We got custody of him. And since Steve was raising him and he just wanted to provide like a, like a sort of stable home situation, mm -hmm. um, he decided to stay in Orange. We were living in the city of Orange at the time near Anaheim and so he stayed and I moved up and uh but we'd always we'd visit all the time we'd see each other like once a month or every other month you know mm -hmm. all right that yeah. was difficult it wasn't easy it sucks it still sucks yeah but well you guys probably talk to each other every day though right yeah every day yeah is it is it one of those like twin things that you if you you're thinking about something you'll call him and he's been thinking about it too yeah some, yeah it yeah. happens a lot yeah hmm. yeah hmm. cool Cool, yeah, cool. some funny shit. It's funny shit when you're driving and, and you look in the rear view mirror to see what's behind you, but he's sitting in the back seat and then he blinks and you're like, fuck, I didn't just blink. You know, when we used to look, you know, more identical when we were younger. Yeah. That's some funny shit. Yeah. Who's older? Me, 10 minutes, 10 minutes okay. older. Okay. That's, that's, that's cool. So you guys were selling some stuff on the web, right? Did I see that you guys were selling some stuff? I mean, yeah, we on had, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, Godoy garage and we were selling a bunch of like, uh, Stuff that we had like doubles of. So we had a bunch of t-shirts and some old decks and things like that. Yeah. I might actually get one of those, one of those old decks. The only deck I have of yours still is, um, actually I have, I, you hardly ever see it. I have the skull skates, the, um, the gargoyle. Yeah. Those are rad. It's so rare. But I, yeah. But I got the full size too. Like normally when you see them, it's the mini and yeah. I've actually got the full size and I've got a funny story about that actually. Um, so that actually belonged to a friend of mine down in Champaign. And um, when skate deck collecting became big in like the early 2000s, um, 
I told Steve about some guy in Sweden who wanted that deck. So he sold it to this guy in Sweden for like 300 bucks, which was big money back then. And then I uh, didn't think anything more about it. And then about five years later, someone offered me a full-size Godoy in a trade. And uh, it was some guy in Minnesota, I think. And um, I ended up, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll take that. So we did the trade and it came back and it was that same fucking deck. No it shit. Be, yeah, it was, right? It had been to Sweden and then who knows where else it had been to get back to this guy in Minnesota and then it came back to me. And I could tell because of the, you could see where the stickers had been on it. So I recognized, I recognized where his stickers had been from back in the day and it was the same color. It was natural, which you don't see a lot either. No, those, so, were, those were early. They were the first batch. The first batch was natural with white oh, okay. graphics. Okay, yeah. So you so got for, the first ones. That's cool. Yeah. So, so that, that, that was apparently that deck was meant to be with you, huh, Neil? I guess so, yeah. Like yeah. fate brought it back to you. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's hanging on the wall right now. That's the only one I got. But yeah, if you've got any of the other ones, like early H Streets or uh, Steve's like Circle A or something, yeah, I might try and pick one of those up. So. Yeah, let us know. We got some. Some of the stuff we, we, we don't have. We, in fact, we don't have any Skull decks left anymore. And we have one Kryptonics one, and I got that on my wall here. Mm. So it's a lot of the stuff that we have, you know, it's that we had. We mm -hmm. got pilfered when we had a, our house in Orange. Like these roommates that we had just went and stole a bunch of our shit and sold it. That's okay. We know who they are and where they're at. <laughs> Sooner or later, I mean, even though the stuff really, you know, it's just, you know, trinkets. It still, you know, symbolizes achievements, especially when it's like one out, out of like 10 Hell Concave boards that was made at Uncle Wiggly that still had the original Hell Channel in it. It was a six-ply fiberglass. Right. At Bronowicki, yeah, watch out. I know where I know where you're at. You and your five autistic kids, you know. <laughs> That's what you yeah. get, man. Payback. Yeah, Top payback's five. coming. Payback's coming. Well, yeah. and, the, and you know what? And they're not trinkets either because that shit goes for big money on eBay. You know, I mean, we're talking, I, I can't think of what the highest is anymore, but I think it's over $7,000 for, for a start for like a early Tony Hawk or something like that. So, Which is funny because those are all mass produced. Right, exactly. You know, the rarest of the rares are Kryptonics deck. And I saw that for 1800 on one site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, because that was, that was hard to get back then. So, yeah. you know, yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, do you have any last, any last questions before I play them out with a, with a song? I don't, but I appreciate him coming on and talking to us. It's been very interesting. Like I said, I'm, I'm a bit of an outsider when it comes to skating, but I love the old school punk attitude, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds, yeah me of the scene, it reminds me of the scene I grew up in because what punk looks like now is I don't even recognize it. I often question whether or not I even, if there's even a place for some of us older people at this point, you know? Yeah. Well, that's why we do this show, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what? There's a, there's a place for it. And, and even if you don't relate to the politics, just the sound, because there's no other band, bands or, or, or any genre that can represent the frustration that you have. Yep. It doesn't matter what frustration it is. This, it, it sums it up. Right. You know? and As a matter of fact, I really want to go put on Nevermind the Bullets right now because I want to hear that marching beat. And that yeah. I, 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 might, I might just do that. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. I'm going to go lay outside and listen to the pistols. There you go. And the neighbors are going to listen to the pistols too, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You hey, want man. To slow ride and take it easy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to do that, but uh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well, hey, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll do it again and you can get in more in depth with some of those other gnarly stories you're talking about. We might have to, we have to do a special R rated episode where you don't let yeah. your kid listen. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I don't think he. I don't think he cares. Bye. Hey, see ya. Yeah. Take it easy, Yeah. See ya. All right, Art man. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And we're gonna play out with. Um, I think we said we're gonna do Last of the Bad Men with Tail Block. I believe, right? Awesome. That's so great. Yep. Cool. Talk to you soon. Stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks thanks for doing this, man. Much appreciated. Okay. Bye. Lifestyle, we're gonna drive